Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is really exciting. It's already been a blast hanging out with Holly Christine Hayes. We've already been hanging out. Like it feels like for more than an hour, just becoming friends. So I mean, this is really so fun. fast friends, which yeah. I love. I mm-hmm. love that because you know, like when you meet people, like I, I like everyone who's like a nice person. Yes, and I'm like pretty much like down to hang with anyone. But then you meet some people, and you're like, oh my gosh, we're like really connecting on a lot of levels really fast. It's like That's the kindred spirit thing where it's like, wait, I know your soul. <laughs> and we even have daughters who like look alike and are like the same and age. Then same age so yeah this is very special and you're from austin Mm -hmm. which austin is near and dear to my heart i'm from texas from waco texas my sister and brother-in-law nieces live in austin and so did you grow up around the branch davidians that's what everybody thinks i mean it's either branch davidians or joanna Gaines. that's what people think has come in and like changed everything it's for true. us which i'm so grateful because yeah. <laughs> we had a really bad rap with the branch davidians i mean growing up that's all i knew about waco i know and now all anyone talks about of course is magnolia so it's either it's either branch davidians or magnolia, or magnolia. i but two colts both um both have strengths in their own right yeah yeah <laughs> no i mean joanna Gaines. have you been to magnolia I, you're required to when you live in texas yes. i think you're it's a requirement so yes i have been i got like emotional the first time i went in there it's beautiful it's beautiful i'm like 
yes, I know she's perfect from just watching her on Fixer Upper and I like her marriage is amazing. I mean, I'm sure they obviously have like their life issues. I don't think with. they do. I don't think they do either, actually. Chuck Gaines <laughs> is definitely my like celebrity crush. I know. Who ever <laughs> thought that he would be like the one that all of us are Heart going rock. after? Every wife in America is like, <laughs> he's got why that dad like Chuck Gaines? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, he's so funny. He's so cool. And I feel like he really brings the silly out in her too because she's not They're always perfect. a silly. It's true. She, like, you see it come out. And then she grounds him too. Yes. When he needs to be grounded, I mean, they're really perfect. I mean, are we best friends with him too? They I feel like it. we are. <laughs> I, feel like I, we was, are. <laughs> I was talking about that with someone recently. I've had dreams that Joanna Gaines and I are like friends, <gasps> and I'm like, I feel like it's going to happen. She would love. Thank you. you. I feel like she would love you too. I feel like she would love us. I think she would love us. So, <laughs> if you're a friend of Joanna's and you're hearing this right now, please send this to Joanna and say these girls would be your best friends. Yeah, and we have a lot to offer we do I feel like you guys could even collaborate I feel like we should mm-hmm. I mean we we have been so I have had Sanctuary Project at Silobration one year which was like incredible See, it's already happening it's I know already happening. it's already happening it's right already happening. it's we're basically there yeah so yeah Joanna if you're hearing this we love you we love you <laughs> <laughs> Chip, if you're hearing this we're both happily married yes. but we wish our husbands were more like you because he's so funny yes I mean uh, he he really he's he's capitalized on his strengths and he like does all the hard work of like re, you know rebuilding houses and stuff like I just mm-hmm. feel like if my husband it's just like I have a to-do list for my husband and all I dream of is like a man like Chip Gaines that would go in there and just knock out that to-do yeah. list you know and he seems so happy to do it yes he's always like in a great mood yeah he's never like you need me to do what he's really like, you want really? me to move this wall he's always like sure what he's else like, yeah wall and he does Done. it with like a funny little dance thank move. you why don't our husbands do their I to-do list with a funny dance move I'm like yeah yeah, why can't you have a little more fun like Chip? Yeah. Michael, come on. <laughs> okay, so we got it worked out. Magnolia, Chip, and uh, Joanna have it all nailed. They do. They're winning. They do. Mm-hmm. They're a, and and I think they've probably they're probably a far better cult than the original. Oh yeah, they've really they've done a good thing. They've created a good uh, cult mentality. Yeah, of course you never know where it's going to go because at one point we might have thought the Branch Davidians had created a good cult too. So, but did you watch that series? I did. It's I actually loved it. really sad how they got like taken out I mean it's terrible I remember watching it as a kid on TV I do too and I mean you must were you there were you living there then so it's like okay so you live in Austin and then like there's like dripping springs and there's like Buda yeah like that so it'd be like a Buda type thing okay so you were like like in temple or Uh like uh mm -hmm. okay yeah so you weren't like it's like 30 minutes outside it wasn't like you could see the flames of the no Mm. no no no, we couldn't see it they just tied it to Waco because we were the closest big city but I mean it was like right outside of it it was closest big city yeah but actually Waco's kind of become a big city I mean the Dr. Pepper museum's there everything people it's like a tourist attraction it absolutely is (laughs) there's that like miles to Magnolia sign and people are are journeying there like Mecca I know I think it is the Mecca of home improvement at least just like they have like a baseball field and they have like potato sacks and like they have like all these little tiny little shops you walk around I'm like literally Joanna is perfection like her vision is there's nothing it's flawless I have to imagine she has like just an incredible team behind her like mm-hmm. she can't possibly do all this right right or does she do all of it and we're just like inadequate as humans I think because she also has like 10 children I know and she looks perfect I know I had one and I'm like I still can't get it back together uh, it's, it's hard <laughs> it is so hard I'm like started a health journey again it's been two years since I worked out I just started like two weeks ago okay, maybe you can encourage me and inspire <sighs> me to work out but because like, I haven't done it yet people like Joanna who's running an empire has five children looks perfect has a great marriage like how I don't how? have that much bandwidth no like, my bandwidth is much smaller yeah I, I like naps my, I like naps <laughs> I like I need some downtime mm-hmm. I feel like those kind of people don't have downtime no she must not Mm-mm. 
Well, we're impressed. Okay, so let's get to you, Holly. Because <laughs> you, you're talking like Joanna is doing something crazy, which she is, but you are amazing. Like, Aww. I already kind of am emotional about your story, and I don't even know how to, like, get into it, so I'm going to let you start. You've survived hell. You literally have gone through hell. Yeah. And you've turned it into a sanctuary, which is the name of your company. Yeah. And it's about helping women who are trafficked get on their feet and you make jewelry, a beautiful jewelry. I'm sure this is all it. I looked at your website. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So tell me your story and tell me about trafficking because something that you mentioned that I didn't know on your Good Morning, Good Morning America interview is that a lot of times people are trafficked by someone they know, which yes. I didn't know that. In fact, the majority of cases in America are actually a known person, which a lot of people are surprised to hear that because I think we think of trafficking as this kidnapping scenario always. And, um, you know, and someone is just taken from their family and they're chained to a bed somewhere and, and sold to strangers. And, you know, and, and it doesn't always look like that. A, a, in the vast majority of cases, actually, the trafficker is a known person, either becomes a boyfriend or it's a family member. And so I think it's important for people to understand that trafficking is, first of all, it's not an over there problem. It happens here in America and, and that it's, and that it's not a, um, that it's not a sensationalized sort of thing like the movie Taken always. Right. Oftentimes it's so manipulative and coercive that you don't even know what's happening. And that really? was the case for me. So I, um, I grew up in a good home and a good family, but, um, there was some sexual abuse in my childhood and that really imprinted on me and just, I think affected how I saw myself and, and my sense of self-worth and value. And, and so, um, when I got into my early teen years, I really started acting out. I think from that, that place of trauma, Mm -hmm. acting out sexually, acting out with drugs and alcohol. And probably feel like you can't tell anybody, right? Right. I mean, and I, I think I just felt like this secret shame and confusion and, um, so sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so sad. Right. And I mean, the statistics on that are horrific, Mm -hmm. which I don't even want to think about as a girl mom. Right. I'm like, I'm like, don't look at my child like don't no one is allowed to go anywhere near my child (laughs) because it is um the statistics on that are horrific really and um and so the statistics on on child sexual abuse oh yeah i mean it's just like that that in and of itself and the damage it does and it's always someone close to the kid yes because it's a trusted person that you know a friend or a, a family member or in my case it was an after school care and you know you're as a parent you're after entrusting school care yes and so you Ugh. think about that and it's like my daughter goes to a pr- little preschool now and like just to think that something like that could happen or you you're know? sending her trying your, your parents are trying to keep you safe yes you know and yeah <sighs> yeah and so those things are really important for us to understand as parents to really have like a watchful eye on behaviors from your child and stuff because i i know like my mom will talk about that time and she she always says i thought it was so weird that you wouldn't take your coat off when you came home from there you never wanted to take your coat off and um i still love coats today but why was that? i just i think just because I, I yeah the coat made me feel safe and they just kind of wrote it off right they because they didn't know what was going on they just said oh how cute she's she really loves her coat um oh right i mean it's just you think about that stuff but i think it's important to really recognize your children and see okay if they're doing something that's off and you see a a behavior that you're questioning when they're coming back from a place like that and there's a and and you're and you're questioning it in your gut as a parent go with that look into that that. follow through with that ask questions talk to other parents because it wasn't until many years later that it came out that it was happening to a bunch of the kids in this community how do they 
do that with all the kids there? Do they go into like a private room? Yeah. So I, I don't remember all the details yeah. because I, um, my brain actually like blocked it. Yeah. Which I'm grateful for. Yeah. I remember little flashes, but my older sister remembers the details. And, um, I know that it was happening in bath in a bathroom. Yeah. Um, because that's like where my trauma uh-huh. kind of was always. And where I like, where I, I was like afraid to go into bathrooms without, with the door closed. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't, I would never close the door in the bathroom and I would freak out if someone closed the door. And so my parents, also saw stuff like that and they were like why does she freak out so much about being in the bathroom why does why is the door closed such a big deal um and so yeah that uh those kinds of red flags in retrospect they they probably should have investigated but you Mm -hmm. just would never think as a parent i know you would never think that anyone you know or trust would hurt a child so Fast forward to those years where I was, uh, you know, in my teenage years acting out from that trauma, um, I, um, I started becoming very promiscuous and I was the party girl and it was fun for a while and I was, I was enjoying myself and I thought I was being young and cool and having a good time and it was the 90s, I was raving, it was, you know, <laughs> yeah. and this was like San Francisco in the 90s, like the heart of the rave scene oh, and yeah, party culture, it. I was in it, I was living my best life. Um, but that kind of quickly spiraled downhill and, and I started uh, having a lot of consequences and I started getting arrested and I started ending up in abusive relationships and abusive situations. The drugs got harder and harder to the point that I was all of a sudden addicted to meth. And, you know, I thought I was just having a good time and all of a sudden the, the drugs and alcohol had taken over my life and started making choices for me. Um, and then at 19, I met a man at a party who, was um, very charming and charismatic. And I think he saw me from across the room and was like that one, the drunk one with no self-esteem. <laughs> um, I'll take that one. And, oh, and he, Holly, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I was targeted for sure. And earlier before we started recording, we were talking about how traffickers look for easy targets, right? And they, they want that path of least resistance. They don't want to traffic a girl who's secure in her identity and her sense of self-worth and comes from good parents who she's calling every week. Yeah. Right. He found me and I was perfect because I was already estranged from my parents at that point, um, fully addicted to drugs and alcohol and acting out sexually and um, leading with my sexuality already. And so it was very easy for him to take me from that to two clicks to the right. And, and he could suggest that, um, that he start selling me. And, and I actually was feeling like that was a step up from what I was experiencing just um you know giving it away essentially and he was like well I want to take care of you and and all you have to do is do this in exchange and this scenario that I that I walked through this trafficking scenario that I walked through is actually what we see most commonly really in trafficking scenarios here in America where it's a a person who comes in as a boyfriend and manipulates the situation and pretty quickly I learned he had other women and that created a sense of competition where I wanted to be his favorite I wanted to be the best. Did I you wanted, think you loved him? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> and I thought he loved me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he was the first person who made me feel like valued and yeah. even him selling me, even him suggesting that he sell me was it, he made it seem like it was like, you're so valuable. You're so beautiful. Men would pay so much for you. Who are the types of people that want to buy this? 
I mean, it's mostly lonely men. I hate to say it, you like, know, like men who have like jobs and stuff. Like, yes, absolutely. So I mean, men who like you think are like respectable men. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, I, um, you know, my scenario uh, where I was being trafficked, I was living in Boston, Massachusetts at the time I was in college. Um, I was at a top musical theater conservatory and I was being sold to men in Harvard Square who were professors and um, and who were family men and who were, um, you know, who were. Uh, you would pass by them on the street and you definitely would never think they were buying sex. Do they think they're buying a prostitute or what do they think they're buying? Yeah, and that's the problem because I think there's this myth out there that like, oh, prostitutes are all just like, they love their work and they just, they're just dying to have sex with you and mm-hmm. how fun, you know? And, and like, like, just like this fantasy behind like a prostitute. Right. Right. And then and then even for, for <laughs> girls who've been pulled into um, prostitution, it's, I mean, almost 100% of the time, it is a trafficking situation. Um, I think the statistics are that 85% of, of prostitutes, and I put that in air quotes, are, um, are, are experiencing exploitation, are being forced into it through, through a trafficker or a pimp, uh, through forced fraud or coercion. Which leaves another 15% that I guess you could say maybe are um, happy to do it. But you have to wonder what life circumstances have, have made them want that mm-hmm. or, or choose that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in, in my from my experience and, and the women I work with, 100% of the women working in prostitution either have a sexual trauma in their, their childhood or a history of abuse in their family. Um, there's always a reason mm-hmm. that, that someone ends up damaged to the point that they think it's uh, the best life option option to sell their body. And so I think it's important for men to know, hey, when you're buying sex, like you're not buying sex from some willing girl. Um, you are buying sex from someone who is most likely being exploited on the other end. Wow. And I think that's, that's so, so important. It's so important. And the same thing is true of pornography. You know, people watch pornography thinking this is just innocent and I'm just seeing people act out my fantasies. But the same statistics are true of the women acting in pornography. They're almost 100% of the time not there by choice. They are there because there's someone pulling the strings, exploiting them. Oftentimes these these videos are being recorded even without their knowledge, um, which Pornhub is now being like sued dramatically for releasing so much content that was released without people's permission. Mm-hmm. So it's so important for us to, to understand as a society how us going thinking like innocently, I mean, I don't know how innocent it is, but that I'll just go and buy sex you're actually creating a massive problem on the back end with supply and demand and the the demand, the supply needing to meet the demand and, and the supply having to come from exploitation. So when you started, when you started it, when you're in college in Boston, what was it? Did you enjoy it in the beginning or not, not, not necessarily like the sex part, but did you like feel like you were like, you said you wanted to compete and be the best. And did you feel like like you were like in something that you were kind of like, did you ever I never did I mean I know there are other people I've I've worked with who who were okay who felt comfortable in it I actually never felt comfortable in it um I felt really icky from day one Mm -hmm. um you know I think partially because like I mean our sexuality is so like precious and Mm -hmm. you know it's like even even though I was like giving it away at least I was like choosing who I was giving it away to it was like oh the hot guy from the club or whatever right but this was like I didn't have a choice and I felt that 
I felt that really immediately. And yeah, you didn't have the choice in the situation. Yeah, when you're, yes. It was gross. Yeah. It was just gross. Like I just felt gross and I felt so disgusting about myself and I saw really quickly, I mean, I was already not in a good headspace, but very quickly I just felt awful and like it just kept getting worse and worse and my sense of um, self-worth and dignity just got more and more degraded to the point that I was completely suicidal. And so I just kept getting drunk and high and then not showing up for the jobs he was lining up for me. So what happened? then did you get he kicked me out so I ended up homeless because he um, because I stopped showing up for the jobs he was lining up for me he didn't want anything to do with me anymore he kicked me out and um and so I was I was homeless and um and and uh just surviving however I could were you living with him before before I yeah before I had been I mean I was I don't know if I would say living with him. I was crashing at his place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I had he had been letting me stay with him. I'd actually gotten evicted from an apartment even before that because he'd encouraged me to stop paying my rent and kind of set up a scenario where my only option was to stay with him, mm. which then set up the scenario even further that I had to do whatever he asked. And depend on him solely. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, um, but then there were times when he would be with another woman and he would lock me out and I was like scrambling to try to find anywhere else to sleep. So even while I was living with him, he created this sense of instability that at any point I knew if I didn't do what he wanted, I was out. Yeah. Wow. And ultimately, I was out for good in February of 2001 and um, and ended up um, on the streets and just going home with whoever would take me home. I would uh, I did what's called survival sex, where I would go into a bar and just like try to find someone to take me home with Mm -hmm. them so that I had a place to sleep. Um, Occasionally I would meet someone who would let me stay for a few days or a little while. And uh, that was like the best I could hope for. Um, And then I ended up just completely wrecked and on the floor of a public bathroom in February of 2001. And I was watching my tears hit the floor and I just said, God help me. And I'd never believed in God. I didn't know any God people. I had no experience with God. But that night I met someone who got me into a recovery program. And I've been sober since that day and safe since that day. And life just completely turned around from that moment. So him kicking you out was a huge blessing. This is the best thing that can ever happen to you, getting kicked out by your trafficker. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, I was like, wow, I am the ultimate failure. Like, you'd think prostitution is the lowest you can go in society, but I went one lower and, like, failed at prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it ended up being the biggest blessing that could ever have happened. And, and at that point, too, having nowhere to go was actually a blessing. I, you know, my family had kind of tough loved me because I, they knew I was an addict and they knew I was going down a bad path. And so they had separated themselves from me and cut me off and that was the best thing they could have done too because I had nowhere to go I ended up completely lost and hopeless and I was able to hit bottom at the age of 21 instead of you know having anyone enabling me and and letting that addiction and that lifestyle go on any oh, that's longer. a good point so that is why they say to the tough love to do the tough love yeah because otherwise you can just keep skating by. Yeah, and then you never hit bottom, so you never get help, right? Had I not been homeless, alone, addicted, lost, in and out of jail, you know, totally defeated and having failed at the one backup plan I had, which was prostitution, right? I would never have have gotten to the point where I was on my knees and willing to cry out for help from God or recovery community or anyone at all, right? Did you meet someone in the bathroom? No, it was later that night. So I actually went to a party that night and was just trying to get drunk and high Uh and ended up meeting someone at this party that didn't drink. And I was like trying to, I would always just go go around to men and ask them if they had anything to drink. And he was like, no, I don't drink. And I'm like, 
well, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, why don't you drink? And he said, it's a long story. And I was like, I'd love to hear that long story about why you don't drink. And he shared his whole story with me and it sounded just like mine. He'd been through so much of the same stuff I had been through, but he'd gone to a recovery program and gotten sober and his life had started to turn around. And at that point he was 18 years old and he was three years sober and he'd gotten sober when he was like 15. And I remember thinking, man, if I'd gotten sober when I was 15, like think of all those rapes that never would have happened think of all those arrests that never would have happened I would have graduated from high school and then the very next thought was Holly you are 21 years old if you got sober today think of all those future rapes that won't happen think of all those future arrests that won't happen think of the life you could build that this you know you might never have to go to jail again and in this whole new life just unraveled before my eyes that I could I could be a whole new person and you are I the am. life you are living today is extraordinary it's it's definitely beyond my wildest dreams I mean we were just running through your life when you got in here and it's like oh my gosh it's beautiful and what you've done with your company Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot so tell me what happened you turn it over you went to recovery yeah and from that day forward like you just you stayed in that program were you yeah. able to how did you work through it all like what was the process it was a long journey I mean I spent a lot of years in in and out of counseling I say in and out because I would try it and it wouldn't work and go back again years later you know I mean just like I kind of tried everything um, and so over the years it was just this journey of like getting better and then like hitting bottom again and you know and emotionally and um, bad relationship after bad relationship I mean that was the area of my my life that just took the longest to heal and just to be even attracted to a man that wasn't like an abusive narcissist. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I would meet an abusive narcissist and be like, he's so hot. He's just <laughs> my type. <laughs> You're the one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a long, long journey of recovering. And, and then over those years, I started to work with other women and mentor other women and sponsor other women in that 
recovery program. And I saw myself in them and I saw the challenges I faced. And one of those really was, was rebuilding um, my life from an employment standpoint, because I had a criminal record, right? Um, I'd, I'd been a drug dealer and a prostitute and I'd failed at both. And so it was like, where do I, where do I go from here? And, and I, and I saw that time and time again with women I was working with was like the big missing piece here. And the thing that ultimately ended up helping me rebuild was when I, when I got into a career that I loved and I was able to find purpose and meaning and success. And, and so I started to see that this missing link in the recovery piece was not getting trauma care and finding housing. It was, it was finding meaningful and dignified employment that was going to sustain the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, and for them, it was, that was what I saw missing for them too. And so this dream really got birthed of building a place that could be a safe landing place for women coming out of trafficking and violence and addiction and incarceration and being a place that, that would rebuild their lives and their resumes and that sense of self-worth and value and dignity. Wow. And early on, I had worked for this shoe shine stand that was this. It was like, it was all people in recovery. And it was like a place where we all were like trying to get better. And everyone understood that everyone was in recovery. And we were all like early in recovery. And we were allowed to cry at work. And if someone was having a bad day, you could like go home and take a nap. But all day long, we were shining shoes. And these shoes would come in all dirty. And we would get to make them beautiful. And so all day long, I started getting this message that I'm someone who makes beautiful things. I'm someone who makes beautiful things. I can take broken things and make them beautiful. And it was so sweet. And it really started to rebuild my self-esteem. And so with Sanctuary Project and this this dream and this, this company. really beautiful. Built, isn't that special? Yeah. All day long. These, you heard that message. To, yes. It was like in front of your face. And it's and it's who I am today. Like if you ask me like who I am to my core today, I would say I'm someone who makes beautiful things. Because it's so, it's so got implanted in me that this is who I am. I can take something broken and I can make it beautiful. And so with, with the women I get to employ today, we do the same thing, right? Like they come in and they see a pile of chain and a pile of jump rings and a pile of pendants and a pile of earring hooks. And, and then we get to train them to make beautiful things. And all day long, they're making beautiful things. Wow. And they're packaging beautiful things and they're selling beautiful things and they're building a company that's full of beautiful things. And, and so I watch them transform today because they come in, you know, and they're always like, I'm not really into girly stuff. Like I'm not, you know, I don't like jewelry, but like, I'm really grateful for a job. You know, I'm happy to be here and, but I'm probably not going to ever wear the jewelry. And I'm like, totally, that's fine. And then they'll be working with us for like a month. And they're like, I guess I like this one necklace. (laughs) And then after three months, they're like head to toe sanctuary project jewelry. They're wearing dresses they're like they're wearing makeup and they, and I see this like identity being rebirthed in them of like I'm someone who makes beautiful things I'm a beautiful thing my friends are beautiful things um, and so it's such a beautiful gift to get to see that transformation time and again in not just in my own life but but now in so many other women's lives dang Holly that's a really big deal that you took your story and your journey and you made beautiful things with it. I mean, how did you just, how did you come up with jewelry? How did you come up with like, I want to do jewelry? So I had visited an organization in Thailand back in 2011 called Nightlight. And they worked with women coming out of the brothels, coming out of trafficking in Bangkok in the, the Patpong Red Light District. And they trained them to make jewelry. And I saw these girls like sitting in a circle together making jewelry. And they would finish a piece and hold it up. And the other girls were like, wow, that's so beautiful. And 
And I saw this sweet community they'd built. Um, and, and for me, one thing that was always frustrating was like, I bought a couple of the pieces, but I never wore them because they weren't my style. Mm -hmm. You know, they were kind Mm -hmm. of, they were like beaded and feathered and like, yeah, it's a look, it's a mood, but it's not my mood, Uh you know? And (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And, and I, and I always felt a little bit frustrated with the, the sort of compassion jewelry business world, because it felt like it was, um, it felt like it was missing that fashion piece. It felt like it was missing that eye for what are the trends? What do women love? What are women buying and wearing? What are the big brands doing? And how can we do something that, that has that same feeling? And so I had always kind of dreamed of maybe, maybe going and working with some of these organizations and helping them to make jewelry that was on trend Mm -hmm. and that was something that Western women would want to buy and Mm -hmm. that we could get into Nordstrom and that we could get into Target. Into Target. Yeah. Uh, What's up? You got your jewelry in Target. Yeah, that's amazing. But that, I mean, such a testament to, right? That like what we've created is something that it's not just something that you're going to be drawn to because you care about fighting trafficking and you want to employ survivors. You actually want to wear it too. Yeah, I want our jewelry to be something that stands on its own and that you would buy and wear just because it's cute. Yes. And just because it's priced right and just because it's priced so right. Yeah, I mean, that's like that $40 necklace price point, right? Where it's like, I can buy a $40 necklace. Exactly, and it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. And that's where that's where I started to realize we we were missing that piece in the social impact world of creating product that actually had a market already existing for it. Because if you're buying a, a necklace just to support survivors of trafficking, you're going to make that purchase one time. But if you're buying a necklace to support survivors of trafficking that you love and you're wearing all the time, you'll give it as gifts. You'll buy more. Give, yep, you're going to have conversations with people mm-hmm. where they're like, that necklace is so cute. Where's that from? And mm-hmm. then you're talking about us and the word spreads. And so I really, I think, saw this, this market for a different kind of compassion product that had a, a trendy piece to it. And so it's been so fun because I've always been a girly girl and a fat girl and I'm just having a blast like watching trends and getting to create things based on on what the trends are but tie them back to our purpose and our mission and you know if we're doing chain necklaces like what I'm wearing that are that are sort of a trend that's been happening for the last year I'm making it a chain breaker necklace and we're going to talk about how we're breaking chains of slavery and and if you know and if the coin necklace is a trend we're going to make coins that that talk about um about the saint the patron saint of trafficking and of trafficked women and and um and find ways to tie it back to our mission so that people can feel good about shopping those trends, but also know that they're doing much more than that. Wow. So how did you start this? I mean, how did you start a business? Obviously, In my kitchen? Yeah. How did you even know how to do it? Like, I did, didn't. How did you get I going? I still don't. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> now you're running a company that's in Target with a lot of employees. It's, you're saving lives. Like, how do you do this? I mean, it was really just like one step at a time in some ways. I mean, I had, well, first of all, the only other business I'd ever built was my drug dealing business when I was 17. So I knew about margins. I knew about customer service. <laughs> I knew about supply and demand. Um, but I, um, but I had to learn everything else. So I, I mean, I taught myself how to make jewelry watching videos on YouTube and um, and just like found a supplier I could buy chains from and, and pendants from and I'm putting together pieces on my kitchen table and then I met a girl in the jail who was coming out and needed a job and then she's sitting there with me making jewelry with me at my kitchen table but I had to really learn how to run a business in the midst of all of this and um, but I did it so like one step at a time you know I look at it today and I'm like how is this 
how did this happen? Because I only remember waking up each day and just doing the thing that was in front of me, Mm -hmm. build a website. Okay. I can do that on like Wix, you know, um, you know, register as a business. Okay. I can do that. Register as a nonprofit. Okay. I can do that. And just learning one step at a time, what I needed to do. And a lot of our first two years were really me throttling growth because I felt like there was momentum and I felt like there was a market for it and people were loving the jewelry and they were wanting to, to shop. And I was getting wholesale inquiries and things right away. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. I need to make sure I have a really stable business in place before I allow any growth to happen. And so, so much of it was like learning how to, to hold back and say no to even opportunities and doors wow. I would have wanted to walk through because I knew I needed to get a solid structure in place that could scale. And so today now I'm, I, you know, now I look at like all the work I did in years one and two, and now we're only in year three. I mean, we're still really three, young. Wow. I, we're, I mean, it's, we just had our three year anniversary in February. So we're still a really young company, but now I'm seeing just exponential growth because we did that groundwork and, and I, and I leaned back and I said, I need to make sure I build a structure that can sustain this because ultimately everything I do, I want to create a sense of safety and security for the women we employ. And so a lot of that is even in our systems. And there are times when I've had to say, we are not, we're not in growth mode this quarter. We do a sort of quarterly planning. And I've had to say to the girls, this, this quarter is about everyone here finding sanctuary. So there's some girls who need to be in counseling. There's some stuff going on in my personal life this year, this quarter, we're not going to grow this quarter. We're staying stable. And so a lot of, a lot of running this business is actually about taking a pulse on my team and what they can handle in any given season. And then, and then sort of adjusting our speed accordingly and saying, okay, what can I handle? What can they handle? All right, let's go full force. Like last fall, we went full force with the target release. And right now we've pulled back a little bit because we know, we can and and um, and it, and that feels safe and um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of changes happening in people's lives right now. But then fall, we're planning on going full force again, and so it's fun to actually run a business in a really unique way. That it's not just about it's not just about making line. money and right. bottom line. It's actually about the whole caring for the experience of the, yeah. of the people working with you. Yeah. Wow. It's, and it's Holy. really cool. So it's like, I'm not just looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the results, which is the lives of the women that we're working with. And if my production manager is trying to get her degree right now, which she is, and she's amazing, and she's like in school full time and working full time, I'm like, that's more important to me than than doing X number of dollars in sales this quarter. I want her to get through, I want Kay, which is her first initial, to get through school. You know, I want her to get through this semester at school that's been very stressful. Or my my director of operations is looking at a move and potentially, you know, moving out of sanctuary project and going on to her next career move. And so I want to make space for that, you know, and we all are processing that with her and we're taking time and we're pulling back and we're getting other people trained to move into her role. And all of this feels so special because it's not the way a typical company is run, right? You're doing everything with soul and heart. Yeah, it's, that's the hope. Wow, Holly. So if you want a job, you can come work. I mean, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's pretty special. It's just amazing that you are able to carry those values so strongly through an actual company that's running. Like you are not willing to sacrifice any of that 
to yeah. make money, which is incredible. Your purpose is to heal these women and, and then make beautiful things. And what's cool is we end up making money at the end of the day. Yeah, I think because the internal culture is healthy and because the women that are working for us feel valued and feel safe and I feel safe, we actually are doing really well. Yeah. And so even when we're throttling back, like we're still seeing growth. And even when we're pulling back and, and, um, and trying not to overwhelm ourselves, we're still doing really well. It's like it, nothing gets lost when we're focusing on, on that care for the soul. Wow. How many employees do you have? Or how many girls are on your team? Right now it's nine. Wow. And it's such a sweet group. I, I feel like it's a sisterhood and a, and a sweet community. And we've been as, as large as 12 and as small as four. And um, this feels like a really sweet spot. Um, but I also feel ready for growth in the next, probably in the fall or the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like we're ready to scale up and I'm excited to see what that looks like. How do people find you to join your team? So sanctuaryproject.com, best place to go. And you can find us on social media too. So sanctuary underscore project and, um, yeah, send a DM or, or contact us. And we, um, if, if there's a survivor of trafficking, violence and addiction listening, please reach out and become a part of our community. Even if it's not as an employee, we want to know you and we want to be in a relationship with you and we want to point you to resources for healing and hope. And, um, and we want to walk alongside you and probably send you, send you jewelry and, and help you to feel a part of us, even if you're in a different city and and can't be with us physically. So what what do you want to tell women who might be listening who are in the throes of it? Like, how do you get out? Like, how do you encourage someone to, like, take those steps? What's the first step? I think the first step is recognizing that there's a problem always. You know, I mean, this is in the recovery community. It's like the first step is admitting you have a problem. You probably already know you have a problem. Um, you know, for me, I was easily able to identify that the relationship was violent and that I was struggling with addiction. And maybe I wasn't ready to identify as a trafficking survivor, but I knew that there was something wrong. And so if you're listening today and you know there's something wrong in the relationship you're in and you know that there's something manipulative or coercive uh, happening in, in your life right now, I just would say, you know, there, you're not alone. There's hope. There's help. Um, the National Human Trafficking Hotline is a wonderful resource you can call that is not going to interrupt your life, where you can just get information about where to go and what to do if you decide you want to leave. Um, I am a big proponent of people staying as long as they need to to hit bottom. And, um, but don't stay one day too long because, you know, we've also seen girls die in this. And so, so know that you are, that you are loved and that there's a community of survivors waiting for you on the other side. And, uh, and I hope that you feel empowered to reach out to me today and to reach out to my team at Sanctuary Project and, um, and find out what your true value is that you are made for so much more than this and that you're actually made to make beautiful things. That's amazing. Oh, gosh, this is really powerful stuff. Like you are an angel on this earth, Holly. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I've done some stuff, (laughs) but you, but you have just turned your life into something so beautiful Mm -hmm. in what you're, and I just like, it's just incredible to me how you have taken all of your pain and all the trauma and you figured out how to make this beautiful company. That's just so powerful. Like, I mean, I can't get over it, honestly. It feels like a gift. I think like when you've walked through so much heartbreak and 
pain to see it used for good is like the only gift you really can get out of it. Cause I can't go back and have a different life. Right. I can't, I can't go back and unhave trauma. I can't go back and make a different choice and not go home with that guy that night, you know, Mm -hmm. um, with my trafficker. Um, and I can't go back and undo any of the, the pain that happened to me or the pain I caused, but I can, I can see how it gets used today for, for good. And, and that makes it all, I don't want to say worth it. Cause it's like, is it ever worth it? Right. But it does make it all feel like, um, like hope is not lost and, and that there's, that there's something I have to offer from it that can help someone else. That's amazing. Okay. So tell me how you got to Paris because you lived in Paris for a while, which is incredible. Yes. And it's funny. So I actually, um, I thought I was going to, we talked about how I thought I was going to go and work for one of these nonprofits, helping them make on trend jewelry. And so I did a little trip around the world, sort of like trying to decide and visiting all these different organizations that were doing this work and trying to decide if I would want to move to one of these places. So I, I started in South Africa and then I went to Ethiopia, Kenya, um, uh, Egypt, um, and then, uh, and then Thailand, Cambodia, um, and then, and then, um, Middle East, a little bit, Turkey, Greece, and then down to Australia and New Zealand. And at the end of this trip, after visiting with all these organizations, I didn't feel like I knew what I wanted. And, um, and so I was like, well, I'll just go to my favorite city. Cause at this point, like I'd, I'd Airbnb'd my, my condo in San Francisco. And I was like, I was on the road, right? Like I was living on the road. It was kind of like the amazing race, except there was never any like money that I was going to win, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have the money for my Airbnb. Right, 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 right. In the golden prize of jewelry. Yeah. And the golden prize of like, maybe I'd find my purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's but like your eat, pray, love. Yes. It was, it was totally an eat, pray, love. It was mm-hmm. definitely that. And it was like, I was in my early thirties and still, still single and just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but I might as well have an adventure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I didn't have cameras following me, which was nice <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> yeah. and no one was chasing me and there was no clock. So, yeah. yeah. So I, um, at the end of that trip really didn't know what I wanted. And I was like, I'll just go to Paris for the summer and, um, and I'll just kind of like, you know, spend some time in Paris, be in my favorite city and just let it all soak in and, and just kind of try to figure out what's next. And while I was there, I, um, there was a church in my neighborhood and I had done music stuff with the church. I, I, my degrees in musical theater. And so I'd always been a singer and I, and I'd worked in a church in San Francisco uh, leading music there. And, and so I just told that church like, Hey, I'm in town and I'm a singer and I'd love to, I'd love to like, you know, sing with you guys if, if there's an opportunity for that. And they were like, yes, come be with us. And, um, and then, um, while I was there, it turned out that the woman who was leading their music was actually about to leave and go on maternity leave. And they were like, we want you to stay and take over her job. And, and so I ended up just like with this sweet gig leading the music for this church for one service on Sundays. We had band practice on Saturday service on Sunday. And then the rest of the week I was able to just be in Paris and, and write. And I mean, it was just this like dream come true. It was a dream. I mean, it was was, like living in Paris. It's like single and it was as dreamy as you imagine it would be. My apartment had a view of the Eiffel tower. I was on the same block as the Eiffel tower. So like, so like out my window was, 
literally like the the Eiffel Tower. It was oh just right God. there. Do you speak and French? I, enough, like so enough to get, get by. by. Yeah. Was that I speak that, French badly like an immigrant, but yes. <laughs> was it was there like a language barrier or was that fine? It was fine. You know, I think what I found was that most French people want to practice their English and I wanted to practice my French. And so most of my conversations were me speaking bad French at people <laughs> with them speaking bad English back at me. And it was like, it Perfect. worked. It worked. <laughs> and it was so romantic. I mean, it was just, oh. I fell in love with, this is going to sound cheesy, but I fell in love with myself in that time. You know, like yes. it was like, I mean, it was like eat, pray, love. And like, that was the love. Like you really fell in love with yourself. Absolutely. It was a you It was season. me. It was a me season. And I'm so grateful I had it because I ended up, my husband and I had met before that in San Francisco, but he never asked me out. And then he waited till I was like dating someone else and we lived in different countries. And then he asked me out. <laughs> I mean, always. Always. What's wrong with guys? Always, yeah. right? Yes. A chip Gaines would never do that. He would never do that. <laughs> you know, you're right. He, he probably asked her out like the day he met her. I'm he was sure. like, you, I love you. Let's get married. Yes. <laughs> But my husband just stared at me awkwardly when we were around each other and then waited two years and uh, and a whole continent away to ask me out. Oh, my gosh. Um, but we did start dating and um, and and had like our whole dating time and got married in Paris. And um, he actually moved to Paris for us to be together. Was it and romantic? Date. It was so romantic. I mean, we had this courtship just like in the back with like the backdrop of of. <sighs> Paris. How fun that he moved there with you. It was really sweet. It was really special. And, um, and just a time that like I cherish and treasure and, um, what and a great way to start your relationship. Too. Totally. I mean, it you was know? a dream. It was a dream. And I think there's times now when we look back and we hold on to that, you know, it's like, <laughs> if we, we had Paris. A, yeah, we'll always have Paris <laughs> when, in those moments when we're hating each other. I'm like, at least we had a dream courtship. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah, at least I can like remember those times when like the Eiffel tower was twinkling <laughs> We were eating crepes and he was holding me and yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's pretty perfect. Oh my gosh. And now you have Havana, your and little now we daughter. Have Havana and she's perfect too. She's perfect. She's I mean, a little dream child. You said her name and I'm like, are we done recording? Can I, I go know. be with her? I know. I love that <laughs> she's playing at the house and hopefully yeah. someone will wake up to meet her. How has being a mom changed you? The coolest thing about being a mom for me is like, I thought I had too much trauma to be a mom. I thought that I wouldn't be able to love. Um, I thought that um, my relationship with my mom was really strained and really hard. And I thought I would have that same tension. So I was afraid. I was afraid to become a mom. And I cannot even tell you, but the moment that girl came out, my whole world was hers. And I have never experienced a love like that. And I think I... Um, I, I believe I realized I'd believe so many lies about myself that I wasn't capable of loving. Oh, that of you really, weren't capable of loving. Of being of being loving and of loving of like really unselfishly, totally, fully loving with my whole heart. And um, I didn't think I was nurturing. I didn't think that I was. Um, I didn't think I could be soft. I didn't think. I thought that it would feel like a burden when she cried or needed something from me. But it's just been the sweetest gift. It's showed me who I actually am. Like it's showed me that no, I am loving. I am nurturing. And um, and everything you're supposed to feel as a mom, like, like that sense of purpose and meaning. I have. I feel all those things, you know. And I think it's been the most healing thing I've ever been through, actually. Because I feel like I, um, it feels like the completion in a way of, of this story that I now get to, 
um, have this beautiful, perfect relationship. I mean, it's perfect because she's only two, but I like, I've never felt anything negative toward her. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like when she's frustrated, I'm just like, how can I help? You know? And when she's sad, I'm like, how can I make you feel better? And they're just, it's just the sweetest thing. And it feels really God given. Like it feels like, I mean, it's like, we're, it's like, we're just made for it. And, Mm -hmm. and I think I was afraid I was broken and that I wasn't made for it. Um, but to find out that I am has been just so sweet and redemptive. Yes. And, and, and really has like healed my relationship with my mom in a way too, because really? I'm has like, that helped? it has, I think just to understand the love of a mother. Right. Right. Because I, I think I just never, I never thought that I never felt loved, I think, or I never understood it or something. Um, but, but now to and understand the love a of a mother. time showing love, yeah. especially like even like the older generation, it wasn't as like nurturing necessarily. No, they, they weren't free to like mushy gush over yeah, us or, yeah. and I think that, and, and I think there were probably expectations and things she had mixed in there that I probably have let go of. Um, because I'm just like glad I'm alive, you know, <laughs> and I'm glad she's alive and I'm like, we're all alive. This is like amazing, you know, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> where, um, you know, when I, I'm also 41 now and like I had her when I was 39 and like my mom was like, when I think about how old our moms were when they had us, my mom was like 24 or something. I'm like, holy moly, like, don't get like, do not give 24 year old me a child. No, (laughs) she would mess her up so badly. That's what we're talking about. I feel grateful to be an older mom. Me too. Like, I feel like it is a huge blessing. Yes. Especially when you just so desperately want to be a mom. Yeah. And then you finally get that gift and you're like, I got it. I get to do it. And same thing. I had all the fears. Like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, what's going to happen? But I I felt so unbelievably grateful to be a mom it's just because it you realize how precious it is and like how amazing it is and like it's like miraculous every day feels like a miracle I can't believe that that little child is mine like I like I can't believe she's mine I know and we get to keep them forever and ever I know I mean I guess at one point they'll move away but like we'll move with them (laughs) yeah (laughs) same like wherever you go I'm gonna get a little apartment I'm gonna be right here yeah like I'm not gonna bother you but like you can always come over and then I got excited the other day like she's gonna have kids too and then I can be like all up in their life yeah. and like be like like grandma all yes. up in everything everywhere so I'm never she's never getting rid of me Mm-mm. I am going to be annoying mom who's same. like we like wear matching outfits all the time and we're really cheesy that's but. really cute <laughs> that's so cute it's the best and the other thing is like I think I've spent my whole life looking for purpose and meaning I wrote a book I traveled the world <gasps> I did all the things book. yeah tell me about your book well I mean I wrote a book you know you can find it on Amazon but it's called from basement to sanctuary from basement to sanctuary and it tells my story but, but, but what I, I think like I spent so much of my life trying to find meaning, even building sanctuary project and working with other survivors. And what's been so cool about being a mom is like everything I was searching for in all of those things that I thought would give me meaning. I actually found it in just being a mom. Yes. And I yes, was like, I feel you oh, on that. Shoot. I should have just done this earlier. I didn't even need to do all that stuff. I feel you on this. Same. Mm-hmm. Were you like, I didn't even need to be a country star and an amazing oh, race star. And like, I, you didn't need any of this. Right. I, I was a, I've been trying to validate myself my whole life. Like I always yeah. struggle with like insecurity and I don't really even know why. Like I didn't have any kind of trauma. Well, or our society like tells us yeah. to, right? It's like prove your worth. Yeah. Yeah. I always just felt like I wasn't good enough and like that, you know, just struggled with all that stuff. And so like I spent my whole life trying to validate myself. Like, 
Here I am on Amazing Race. Here I'm a country singer. Here I am like validated by people who are cool. And like, but for now I'm like, I don't even care. Right. I don't even care. Because everything that was missing is like fulfilled in them. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is actually what matters. This is, this it. is it. And all I want to do is just be with Sunny all day, Same. every day. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry to say it, but like a part of me just wants to like quit Sanctuary Project and shut it all I down and it. just be like a stay at home mom. Yeah. Yes. I feel <laughs> so if you're you. a stay at home mom listening, like you, you have it good girl yeah. <laughs> I know I know I know I feel you so much yeah I, I feel so thankful and I can't wait for our girls to be besties I know they're already like I feel it I, I mean they're they're their little spirits just look like they belong together mm-hmm. I can't believe it we'll have I to like Havana how'd you come up with Havana well we were in Cuba when you got pregnant <laughs> no not when I got pregnant but like right after we got married oh. and we were trying to get pregnant and and we were um and we were yeah we were in Havana and I was like I said it like I said something like Havana is beautiful and I and then I I, I thought like wow that's such a beautiful name and like I've never known anyone named Havana why does no one name their daughters Havana you hear like every other city like London and Mm -hmm. and Savannah and and Austin Austin yeah I feel like Georgia like Mm -hmm. you have like all these other names that people name their children but never Havana and then I looked it up and the meaning was breath of grace and I thought that was so beautiful like just that like the idea that like she would live her life with this like with this grace on it and um and just a sweetness on it and I loved the idea of like breath and life and hava means life and breath and um and anna means grace or favor and i just thought that was so sweet and special and so and we have such a common last name hayes you know and so i was like okay good this will give her like an uncommon name she won't be one of like havana hayes yeah what a great name i know she sounds like a country star she does think, right she yes. sounds like a star yeah so she's a total star she's a total star mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing holly you are amazing so you've already mentioned where everyone can find you but tell us again where we can go find all of sanctuary and all of holly yeah so find me too um i'm on social media at holly christine hayes um and uh website is uh, hollychristinehayes.com i just launched a podcast called finding sanctuary where we're sharing other people's stories of uh, finding hope and healing in the midst of a trial so um find me there too and uh and hear some some inspiring stories uh like mine of from just other other people who've been through various struggles so and uh, you can buy all sanctuary jewelry online yep at sanctuaryproject.com you can find all the jewelry and um target.com if you're a target girl yes target.com yeah that's amazing (laughs) holly that's amazing okay so i always wrap up there's a big plane flying by we live by uh i guess the airport and a train track so we got lots of background exciting noises um i always wrap up with leave your light which is what do you want people to know It's just open-ended. Oh my gosh. What do I want people to know? I think I want people to know that you are so valuable. You know, and I think about the things that led to my exploitation. It was really just wanting to feel like I had value. And some of the stuff we talked about of like all those things we do to try to make our life have meaning. Um, but, but I think what I've realized in, in my, in my life and in this journey of working with survivors is that we are, we are inherently valuable. Um, you are valuable. If you're here, it's because you are valuable. There are people that you matter to. There is a destiny for you. There is a, a perfect little place in this world carved out just for you and you matter. Wow. Holly, you are amazing. I feel so honored to like know you and be mm. friends with you now. And like, 
God, you're just doing great things. Thank you're you. doing amazing things. Thank you. Well, I need all the friends alongside me doing it because yes. it is not something I can do alone. So I'm so honored and excited to meet you and just to, to be here with you. And um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so me. glad we did this in person. I know. That's so great. I know. I haven't been doing in-person interviews. I know. And, and Zoom is like, I, we would have been like, hi. And then we wouldn't have had all these connections. And we wouldn't have had my daughter here with me now playing in her playroom. It's just like, in <laughs> yeah. person is always better, isn't it? It really is. And I'm so grateful that the world is getting back to that. Thank you so much for joining. Holly Hayes, amazing beacon of light. You're incredible. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.